living in the past where two middle-aged dudes relive their past by enjoying the pop culture of their youth. Devin, yeah. you want to see a dead body? Another one? Um, <laughs> huh. uh, yeah, you know what? We're here. It's uh, We're recording this on an early Saturday morning. So um, f- how else would I spend my Saturday other than pursuing a dead body, Jeremy? Yeah, so we are doing Stand By Me, and it's one of those films that came out at the right time. It came out mm. in 1986, uh, yep. about really about a bunch of kids that are in sixth grade, about to be in seventh grade. That's where I was at. I was mm. a sixth grader in 1986. In the fall of 86, I was in seventh grade. Wow. So it hit me right at the right time. It's this coming-of-age story. It takes place in... 1959 castle rock not maine but oregon yes. and of course it's a uh, it, it has this really great ensemble cast with will wheaton river phoenix Corey feldman uh jerry o'connor in his first film and then of course Kiefer sutherland's in it we'll talk about him more later uh it's it's this uh amazing story written by stephen king it was a novella and uh, it was called the body and boy this film kind of flew under the radar and mm. when i saw it i must have watched it um i didn't see it in the theater but i must have watched it about six or seven times in a row uh when wow. i saw it so wow. i mean it was it was yeah. on the rotation yeah. when did when did you first see it you know it was pro i didn't see it in the theater um so yeah. it was probably later that fall uh yeah. so 86 let me do a little public school math here so that, that would have been like my freshman year of high yeah. school, so yeah. so I distinctly remember seeing it for the first time on VHS at my friend yeah. Travis's house, which, by the way, um, listeners, you probably noticed the theme of that I saw most of these movies <laughs> at Travis. Travis's house on the VHS. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and it, very much the same way um, had a tremendous impact on my life. Not only then, but like it's still one of those films that just has a special place in my heart because yeah. of the. The, the, the time in my life when I saw it, but also because of some of the themes, which I know we're going to get into. Yeah. And, you know, here's what I compared this movie to, Jeremy. The, this movie is is the celluloid version of uh, the, the song Cats in the Cradle because, like, yeah. both those yeah. things can just pierce my heart and yeah. cause me to go fetal uh, and just ball up and start sobbing for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, it taps into something. And yeah, it, it taps into that coming of age, how... It really did for a lot of kids. Things just shifted. When you left yeah. elementary school, went to junior high school, uh, there was a change, and friends sort of parted ways. Right. Uh, they talk about that a little bit in the movie, and that really rings true for me. It, it's mm. also the friendships feel, for me, genuine, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, more in the show, but there is this authenticity in Stand By Me as this mid-1980s film that has been i don't know about you i it's been hard to replicate i mean we've Mm. seen it recently with stranger things i think that cast yeah like the stand by me cast they're friends you know they were friends while making it and i know some of the you know some of the actors obviously river phoenix tragically tragically dies in the early 90s but but the other cast members those kids, they remained friends. I know Jerry O'Connor was making a show called Sliders and mm. got Corey Feldman to come on the show. 
and you know play a, a decent role on that so they were still yeah. even interacting in the early 2000s and yeah. having these real genuine friendships and that really shows up in the film i think and agreed that's rare i i don't know i just don't see that authenticity as often as i would like yeah and well and i think that also you know some of the things that make that so apparent is is you look at the the films between then and now and yeah. when there's a, a an ensemble of young actors um I, I think that that is something that this film does particularly well and i'm just thinking about that you know goonies did a pretty good job with this sandlot did a pretty good job yes. with this yes but both of those films still were, were different enough and with the the quote-unquote the the quest or the adventure part of things that yeah this particular um, ensemble uh, does such a great job, and this is really at the heart of this film for me. Is that's really probably the the single biggest thematic element of this film? Yeah, is friendship. Yeah, and and, yeah, and so absolutely. I think that that alone is what for me makes this film so just it, it, a, a rewatch. But it like, it never loses value as far as being rewatchable. Yeah, I watched it last weekend, and uh, I'll be honest, I got a little emotional at the end uh, where, you know, Richard Dreyfuss playing, you know, Gordy is is writing and, and basically just says, you know, you don't really have friends like these ever. Um, it's right. just this sort of one moment. And I, re- I had a moment to reflect on that, and there's yeah. there is some truth in that, in that statement, yeah. and, and it really, it really hit me. Um the film's interesting because the development of it, Rob Reiner made it. And mm. Rob Reiner is interesting. I, he's made a lot of films, but listen to this 80s run into the very early 90s. He yeah. wrote, he made, directed, this is Spinal Tap, 84. The Sure Thing in yeah. 85, Cusack's in that. Stand By Me, 86, mm-hmm. The Princess Bride, 87, When Harry wow. Met Sally, 89, wow. Misery, 90, and then Still A Few Good Men in 92. Wow. wow. That's a run right there. It's that impressive. Is. And I know we've talked about some directors that really had runs in yeah. the 80s, but when you, is, is he the most overlooked yeah. director of, of this era? I think so. I think so. I mean, because if you think about the impact, just like this is Spinal Tap has had just on that kind of mockumentary like genre. uh, So much has come out of that. Um, Yeah. Stand By Me, great friendship movie. The Princess Bride. In many ways, The Princess Bride set a tone for this kind of fantasy romance comedy Mm. film Mm -hmm. that a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, there's been a lot of movies that have tried to recapture that. And I don't think they've they've done it. of course, when Harry met Sally is a giant in the romantic comedy. It, it might be one of the two or three best ever. Um, yeah, in the last hard to 30, fight against that. Thirty yeah. years, misery. I mean, talk about changing. It's like you throw in a you know. It's almost like you go from like a change up to a fastball when you go from <laughs> when Harry met Sally to misery. <laughs> it's like misery just like knocks you over. Yeah. Uh, and then he changes again and 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 goes for this courtroom drama, A Few yeah. Good Men, which, you know, we'll have to do on the show at some point. It's so good. And yeah, I'm not sure I can handle the truth, but go ahead. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> We're going there, Devin. We're going there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he is. I think he is overlooked. A lot of people don't realize that was his run. He's made a lot, a lot of other films. He made, a, a, I think, a very overlooked mid-90s film that I, I just don't think gets made anymore. 
And that's the American president with Michael Douglas, mm. um, yeah. Martin Sheen. I mean, that's yeah. a, I watched it. It was on Netflix, and I watched it recently with my wife. And, you know, we're, we're sitting there drinking wine, watching the movie. And when it was over, we're just like, man, that is so good. There are not many movies like that. So if, if Reiner's anything, he's versatile. And he Indeed. can just m- make all these different types of movies. And he has this acting background, which definitely, I think, plays a role in the film. Um, mm. So... You know, it's interesting. He makes he he makes this movie uh, stand by me. It was called The Body, but but Reiner, being thoughtful, just thought you know marketing might not go as well. It might be almost <laughs> mismarketed if it's like, hey, you it's the think? let's go watch The Body. You think at the um, height of the Friday the Thirteenth and Freddy Krueger era, you yes. think? <laughs> yeah, it's like what is this crap? So he he made uh, he made the change, and of course. Um, King was okay with it. And in fact, King got very emotional in the screening of Stand By Me mm. and told Reiner after, he goes, this is the best adaptation of wow. any of my work. And, wow. Um, of course, this is mid-80s, so, I mean, we, we still have Shawshank Redemption on the horizon, Yeah, you know, in the mid-90s. Uh, so I, I don't know if that has changed, if King's right. uh, sort of view of it has changed, but I think... Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me, The Body, I think they were both in the same collection of stories. So mm. Uh, mm. pretty pretty awesome group of stories that King yeah. wrote that are, are not, you know, there, there's horror elements or scary elements or just, um, but it's not that typical genre that King does. works. Well, in, and I think so. that that's what really sets Stand By Me, and you mentioned Shawshank as well. That's yeah. that's one of the things that make them stand out because it's so contrary to what yeah. King is known for. Yeah, that it's almost you have to do a double take going like, really that that was a Stephen King? We don't we don't have yeah. buckets of blood coming down on the prom queen, or <laughs> yes, we don't have exactly. giant dogs barking or cars driving themselves. I know. I know. Um, King, King those, has such great stories. Yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> elements in Stand By Me might be a cool director's cut, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the movie is interesting. It, it really it, it starts out and you have uh, Gordy uh, as mm. a grown man, uh, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss, uh, contemplating this newspaper article. And the title reads he's in his car just sitting there. It says attorney Christopher Chambers fatally stabbed in restaurant. Mm. And, um, you know, you have this kind of like moment where this, you know, where you see Gordy just kind of reflecting on that. And he recalls the first time he saw a dead human being. It was the summer mm. of 1959. And yeah. we're teleported back in time from the present of that moment back to the to the 50s. And we see 12-year-old Gordy, you know, meeting up with his two card-playing friends in a treehouse, which they yes. built for the movie, which there's something about forts and treehouses <laughs> and that age, that 6th, 7th, 8th grade, because you're not little. Midlife, yeah. You know, but you're not, you know, you're not too, too cool to do that stuff. Right. So you right. have the physical capabilities to build something. Of course, set designers built that tree. Yeah. Did you have any like forts, tree houses, anything around that time in your life? Um, Because I did, Devin. <laughs> I'm trying. I, um, <clears throat> there were definitely a couple of secret locations where certain things were stashed. Um, <laughs> But but yeah. nothing tree tree fortish no nothing tree fortish yeah yeah we we, we had um, I lived in Hampton Virginia when I was the age that Stand by Me came out so that's sixth seventh eighth grade mm. 
Uh, and yeah, we built, you know, there was woods behind the house houses or the subdivision. It, interesting. I, I recently technology is amazing. I went on Google maps and I'm like, what, what is that neighborhood like now? Mm. I just was curious yeah. and it's completely developed there. Those oh. woods I played in as a kid, they're long oh. gone, but Gross. it was a, a, a relatively new like subdivision and behind yeah. it, there were some new houses being built, but there was just, it was just woodland all the way yeah. it was the chesapeake bay area hampton virginia mm-hmm. and um just all this like forest land up to the water and it was we spent hours hours and hours back there and we were able to build all sorts of things no one messed with it i mean other kids would find it maybe tear it down but uh we had you know we put it back together and so we had like a fort where we were able to like steal some of the lumber from the housing developments nice yes. carry it back there repurpose and, uh, yes um you know we built this little fort and we would hang out and we would stash some things in there as well and oh. um you know just just typical 13 year old boy stuff and um <laughs> yeah so we would uh take our bb I'll guns be on out the there. other side <laughs> collecting my thoughts oh yeah oh yeah so they it showed the film they're in this like treehouse it's pretty epic and they're playing cards and it's we're introduced to the gang it's it's yeah. um it's kind of crazy teddy uh Duchamp who is played by Corey Feldman um which was interesting in the casting for the movie there was a lot of like well can this actor play this role i think they saw 500 kids to try to Whoa. cast cast Whoa. these parts and you know it was interesting, Corey Haim, who was kind of known as kind of the part of that dynamic duo between right, Corey right. Feldman and the Corys. Uh, yeah, he was he was actually thought to play Chris, who River Phoenix played, mm. but he wanted to play Gordy. He wanted to play the lead, and so they were like, "No, we think you're better for Chris." So he he kind of bailed out. Feldman though came in and, and played Teddy, yeah. and Reiner said he was the easiest to cast because. Mm none of the actors could get to the angry place like Corey Feldman could. Wow. And, um, of course, Feldman said he just really identified with this kid. In fact, um, River Phoenix said the same thing. Like, a lot mm. of these kids identified with who they were playing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, of course, Feldman is is playing Teddy, you know, Duchamp. And then you have Chris Chambers played by, by River Phoenix, Who's kind of the group's leader, and then you have Vern, who who is yes. is just um, he has some news, and and Vern is famously played by by Jerry O'Connell. It's his first movie. Uh, he's from New York. Uh, he even said in an interview, like <laughs> he goes, "I had never really." He goes, "I thought Central Park was the wilderness, and here I am in Oregon, <laughs> in Northern California." filming stand by me and he's like it was just a, a playground it was amazing and, and uh, it was his first movie and uh he even tells the story his grandfather came to visit the set and of course hollywood picture they have like these spreads like these like you know it's all this food and his yeah. grandfather went crazy just <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> like just he's so embarrassed by his grandfather but but so you know we have jerry o'connor who it's his first film amazing chemistry between these actors yeah. and yes. in yes. the in the you you really get that sense as they're playing cards and then of course Vern says do you want to see a dead body right. and 
boom, film shifts and we're off to the races. Yes. The boys suspect Ray, the body is Ray Brower, who is this kid, a local boy who has been missing. The film does an amazing job. Reiner does an amazing job of kind of interspersing radio, mm. you know, um, news flashes about the search for the body. Right. And, um, you know, we're, we're on this journey. Did, did you, for you, when you saw it, and even today, does the setup work for you? Is it hook you? I, I, you know, I think it does. I mean, yeah. it certainly did at the time. And I think what, here's why it works for me still today. And that is, and you, and you touched on this, but growing up in, in the time period that I did, which was, you know, early mid seventies and stuff. Yeah. And, and we lived like, quite frankly, across the street from a, a state park. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, the sense of adventure, the not having to, you know, <laughs> we're, we're so connected to our kids today with devices yeah. and everything else and crazy. able to track stuff. And, and you know, I identified enough with this understanding like, hey, friends and I, we're, we're taking off and we're just going on an adventure. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, that was familiar to me already. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's still the thing that draws me to this film today. It's just this this sense of like best buds, we're trekking, we don't even know where we're going per se, but like we're it's it's us. And and I think that that really is is the magic of this film. So yes, I like that was definitely enough to draw me in then it's still enough to draw me in now. Yeah, and that that idea of like telling your parents you're going to camp out in the kids right. backyard. Yeah. That stuff went on when I was a, when I was that age. Totally. Uh, you know, and what we would do, I was telling you about the woods behind the house. Yeah. We would try to camp out in those woods and, yeah. and um, you know, go as far as we could go, go to the water, you know, which, you know, it was several miles away, but it wasn't, right. you know, it's, but that idea of no technology to keep mm -hmm. track of everybody, the freedom parents would allow us to have, oh. um, you know, being that, that Gen X generation, you know, we like, Sometimes our parents weren't even, they didn't even know where we were and they, they yeah. were whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we were, we were used to that. We were used to these kind of adventures. I, I can't tell you how many times I did that. So that was the hook. And then obviously this, this concept of, of a dead body, finding this dead body, the kids in the movie, they were like, if we find him, we could get on TV, which in the late fifties was the be all end all. Right. right. And, right. Uh, and so, they're like, we'll be heroes, we'll be known. And I love that setup. Right around that early part of the film, though, um, we get a flashback. And mm. we get a little bit more of um, Gordy and what's going on in his life. And right. why a dead body of a kid might hit him a little bit differently. And yeah. we find out that uh, Gordy's older brother... Uh, Denny, who is his in flashback, flashback is played by John Cusack. Uh, we realized that that he had died. Um, mm. And this older brother is beloved. In fact, Denny really is the only one that loves Gordy <laughs> like, well, like it seems yeah. like even uh, there's even a flashback scene of a, a dinner conversation and the parents don't even really acknowledge Gordy, right. but, but Denny right. does. And, so you have this established relationship. There's a scene where Denny gives Gordy the this Yankees hat, yeah, uh, which will be a, a, a important part in just a moment in the film. But you have this established relationship that no longer exists for right. for Gordy, and he's still in mourning, and death is a real thing to him. And yeah. uh, 
I felt it. I felt that Cusack's small part in the film was amazing. Um, mm. Did you buy that older brother, younger brother relationship? Yeah, did it work? I mean, he, being an only kid, um, yeah. I like I can only go so far as to, to, right. to wrap my mind around that. And I'm just trying to think, you know, at this point in my, my life, I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with death. I mean, you know, I'd had yeah. a couple of like great aunts pass away right, or whatever, but right. it wasn't real for me, you know? So that, that part yeah. was still just kind of this, you know, very mysterious thing that I, I didn't really have any interaction with in my own life that I could compare it to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that kind of sorrow, I, I really think I, I was reading some inter- like reviews of the film from that time period, from the eighties. And there was a lot of singing the praises for all of the actors except for Will Wheaton. And mm. and if anything, they would there were some knocks on him, but in rewatching it just a week ago, I don't see that. And yeah. I think he plays this sadness and emotion really well. And there's a scene later in the film that I think he really smashes a home run in terms of the emotional intent yeah. behind it and just the power of the scene yeah and yeah. he holds his own with probably the most talented actor of their generation which was river mm. phoenix and yeah um he, yeah he he makes us the way will wheaton acts you feel that he's carrying the sorrow with him yes that this without question this journey to find this kid is there's more going on than just to go find a dead body like this is, is an exciting thing it's almost this therapy for him well it's, yeah it's and really he's he's the adult of the group he's, yeah. he's absolutely the, the, the father yeah. figure of the group when it yeah. you know because be, not only with like this this understanding and connection with death but he's also the one of the group where every yeah. single one of those other boys you talk about the different tracks that we go on in middle school and beyond it's like every single one of them believe that like oh no he, he's going on gordy's going to go on to you know the the quote unquote the college track where the good kids right. go and and so that like there's even within their 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 group there's this understanding that their roads are about to part yeah for yeah. you know society's reasons of how we're <laughs> yeah. choosing different paths for kids based on their academic prowess or lack thereof yeah yeah absolutely and and yeah it's the again as we think through the film that dynamic of these relationships between the characters is just it's really surprisingly good and it just shows you how talented they all are and you so you have that core group but then you start to add on the layer of the older brothers and for me (laughs) yeah growing up at this time i had a lot of that going on one of my best friends down the street had older brother Mm. his friends you know there was a lot of that going on in my neighborhood where you know, um, as we were in middle school, there were older brothers that were 16, 17, 18. And so there was some interaction there, which was really interesting. And, you know, bullying, fighting, like there was a lot of that crap that went on and you get that pretty quick in the film. It's established. And, um, Chris's older brother goes by the name of eyeball. Um, and, and, and also, Vern's older brother is the one that discovers the body and he overhears that conversation. So it's all these older brothers, uh, of course, you know, Gordy's older brother's gone and yeah. all these other older brothers are basically thugs. Yes. And so it, it almost is like the younger guys are like, this is what's going to happen to us. Like we're right. going to become them in some ways. Right. Right. 
And so you you have this moment early in the film where you get Kiefer Sutherland's introduction as Ace. Mm. He's friends with Eyeball, which is Chris's older brother. And there's this exchange where they terrorize Gordy and and Chris and they take Gordy's cap, this New York Yankees cap that Denny gave him. And uh, it's really heartbreaking. What's interesting is that was it. Like you don't have a moment later in the film where he like gets his hat back or right. you know this it's gone and I think there was an outtake where um, Ace throws it away, like he just mm. he just took it. In fact, I was looking through some like just background research on on the yeah. scene itself. Kiefer Sutherland was going to put it on, but in a conversation with Rob Reiner, Reiner the director said, "Hey, you you're not going to put you know don't put the hat on." Ace is just your, your character. Ace is just stealing it to be cruel. Yeah, just to be a dick. And yeah. you know, of course, he puts it on eyeball instead, and the scene plays out. And you know, of course, holding the cigarette up to like, yeah, Chris's face. I mean, it's yeah. just there's this. Kiefer Sutherland is amazing at that sinister, dark side, and he, yes. man, he's good. Do, do yeah. you do you agree? I mean. Yeah, you know, I I think back over the '80s and and early '90s and, and yeah. the Kiefer Sutherland roles, and I can't come to one that I'm just like, nah, it didn't really work for me. <laughs> I think he's yeah. like he's an incredible actor, and I think in the role of of Ace, he just he nails it. I mean, he's yeah. he's the proverbial like '50s hood delinquent. Yes, that um, you know what he does <laughs> is he takes our our notion of kind of the, the delinquents that we get from the outsiders, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 in the outsiders we, we have this like, oh, but they're really like good kids at heart. Like yeah. just like just like in yeah. bad situations. Yeah. It, not so much ace in no. <laughs> standing by no. me. He is just a straight running dick. He and and yeah. he owns it. He owns it. Yeah. He does this little thing. I don't know how to define it or like put it in a category. And it happens at the end of the film, but you you believe that he is capable of killing people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that he is crazy. I mean, there's a the the race where he's racing his buddy and the truck's right. coming on the right. way to go find the kid. And right. he just is like, I'm gonna this guy's gonna move. I'm I don't care if we die. Right. Like there's this right. recklessness. Um I mean he's psychopathic in a sense. And yeah. even with the cigarette scene, it's just like he just loves being sadistic. Uh, he's yeah. a great, great villain and just rules those other boys in his gang. I think they're calling themselves the Cobras or something. Like, he rules the gang perfectly. Right. But that sets it up. I mean, you have, you know, this introduction of these older kids. They don't know yet. Some of that gang knows about the body. Right. uh, But they're not going to to look for it yet. And you get this sense that there's a clock playing out. At some point, they're going to know can the younger kids get there first? And that right. I love that kind of backdrop to the film. I think it really works well narratively. Uh, so you have this all set up, and then you you start the journey. And the mm-hmm. kids are singing songs, or singing, you know, Have Gun Will Travel, yeah. uh, which is, you know, popular <laughs> 50s TV show at the time with Richard Boone playing the lead character. They're singing that. They're hanging out. It's just it's what kids did. Um, yeah. Even through the 80s into the 90s before – really technology took hold that that starts to dissipate a lot and mm-hmm. um anyway so you have this journey early on though you realize teddy who's played by feldman is uh, yeah. is broken and yeah. 
He plays chicken with an oncoming train. Chris panics, pulls him off the tracks. At the same time, you're getting this, like, it's flashing to or cutting to the Cobra's Aces gang. And, you know, they're playing mailbox baseball. And there's this yes. there's this constant, like, back and forth between these two groups of boys mm-hmm. as they're kind of moving toward, in, in different ways, toward the body, toward this showdown right. at the end. Right. And when I saw mailbox baseball, I, I was I – was, I never did it, uh, but I knew people that would play it like really? that. Huh. Devin Clefford, have you ever played <laughs> mailbox baseball? Let me let me check my Google Calendar. Uh, Statue of Limitations <laughs> is up. Um, okay, just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, so I know okay. a couple of our, our of our listeners um, <laughs> may or may not have been present when stuff like that went down. Um, we had yeah. Th- th- so this introduced a whole new world to this guy right here um yes we like that was our weekend jam for a good long while um when we got our license which was you know uh, a year or so after we saw this film yeah that was our weekend jam um and i'm gonna tell you like so we had um primarily used a wood bat yeah um we we engraved (laughs) it with the name virgil because i think virgil was um uh, the name of um, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man's uh, sidekick at the time, and w- it used to be WWF. <laughs> yes, uh, now WWE. And and so show him the guns, Virgil. And so yeah. um, that was our jam. And wow. I distinctly remember just wrecking shop throughout um, the Northern California area that yeah. we grew up. And um, like there are some seriously good memories um being young felons in this area yeah um yeah and then you know what's funny is we were we were so um into it that we actually had one guy who had a police scanner and oh, wow. at one point um we we were terrorizing a particular neighborhood and um someone started to follow us and then we heard over the police scanner that someone had called the cops on us oh, and wow. so we drove like madmen through the mountains of, of santa cruz and uh we ended up oh it was oh I'm, I'm gonna tear up jeremy we like we just we wiped virgil down and threw virgil out the window what? and into uh, a ravine down below this bridge uh-huh. and that was the last mailbox baseball night that Oh man! Very, very, very traumatic. I, I had friends that played, and they the, similar rules. Like if there's yeah. mail in it in the mailbox, you're out. You know, um, <laughs> if it's if you knock it off, it's it's yeah. it's a run. I think yes. you know. So uh, like, Stand by Me surprisingly influenced. Um, yes, more on teenage boys for a while. Yes. Um, yes, I have great. no idea what I would have done if that movie didn't put that idea into my head. I probably would have been an outstanding citizen, but not so much. Yeah, my so we I've got a friend, um, Mike, who's yeah. whose stepdad Joe. Their their mailbox um, was destroyed one night, and, and it wasn't us. It wasn't yeah. obvious. I mean, obviously, yeah. we're not our own mailboxes. And <laughs> he was he was an engineer, uh-huh. so he I forget what exactly he did, but he like engineered a mailbox to make it look like from the outside just a normal like wood mailbox. Yeah, but the inside was like lined with bricks. Oh, and, 
And some kid came along at one point and took a swing at that. And that you could, like it was never touched after that. Because I, I don't know what happened to that poor kid's wrists oh, and hands. Gosh. But um, it, it was it was it was glorious. I mean, yeah. being on the non receiving end of that, that that was glorious. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I remember families in our neighborhood you know, getting reinforced mailboxes because that <laughs> stuff would happen. Uh, it just was a thing for a while. And, yeah, it uh, totally was. I don't know if it happens anymore, but boy, it did in the... Oh, God, now they freaking throw you in the dungeon for stuff like that. <laughs> you might, you might, yeah, you might be in prison for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, how, how dare people... Yeah, that. that's a yeah. That, those are that's federal government property right there. Those mailboxes. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's <laughs> can't do that stuff. So in the movie, the guys, um, you're kind of getting this intercutting back and forth between the two gangs, uh, but then you, it kind of focuses on the younger kids for a while. Yeah. The, our main characters and they go to a junkyard. They are worried about um, Chopper, an attack dog that yes. Milo the junkman has. And uh, they, they go there as sort of a, a, they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do about food? It's a good place to take a break. Um, they need to get back on the, the, the tracks. Um, and so you have this kind of like moment where they, um, Gordy goes and gets the food, yeah. comes back and you have this chase. And of course there's yes. this like hint at, at Cujo here, the way they were talking about this dog, of course, the dog's actually really not that bad at all, uh, but in their mind it was like really terrible. But then you yeah. see, um, you see Corey Feldman's character just completely snap. And Teddy does because of what some of the things a junk man says to him about yeah. his father. And there's this interesting part in the movie where these boys all mention their parents mm. and what their parents think of them. And you have, of course, you have Teddy, whose father uh, landed on D-Day, and mm -hmm. it's apparent that his father has all sorts of, you know, issues, PTSD and others, and right. he's abusive, and he's really hurt Teddy and abused him. But Teddy idolizes his father. Um, then you have, of course, Gordy, who his father, because of the death of, of the, you know, the father's oldest son and then big brother right. to Gordy, doesn't really right. pay him any attention. Right. Um, and then, you know, you have Chris's father who's a drunk all the time. Right. And uh, you have these kind of reflections on their own dads. And it's really interesting. And that, I think, kind of hangs in the background mm. throughout the film. And it yeah. just shows you whether we want to talk about it or not, dads are important. And, yeah. and how we view our dad and the relationship we have with our dad, it shapes yep. us, it forms us. Um, sometimes it forms us of who we want to be, but also it forms us who we don't want to be. Yeah. And then there's that other little part for men where we, in some parts, we realize we can't help it. We're going to be like our dad. <laughs> and it's, and yeah. there's, as you get to be about our age, there's that realization like, oh, damn, I'm doing the same things my dad did that I didn't want to do, but I'm doing them right. because I'm right. his son. Yeah. And I love stand by me for that. Like, that subtext it's just mm. under the surface but it's there and it really influences these kids and i really appreciate stand by me for doing things like that where yeah. other movies probably wouldn't or it'd be a very very heavy-handed yeah i was gonna say it, it <laughs> there, there wouldn't be anything like implied it would be very explicit and i think yeah. you're right like this it adds to really the complexity of each one of these kids yeah and, and i think that you know, it just 
Gordy has flashbacks throughout the thing, right? Everything from yeah. like the, the the funeral to the dinner table to to all these the, these places, and, and I think that it's it's so intriguing of of how these young men like view themselves through their their father's eyes, and yeah. and I I can even say like for myself, there was even like I think expectations that I put on myself that I thought yeah. that my dad would have put on me, mm, and, mm. and and maybe so. Yeah. Um, it, it was never a conversation we had, but there was this like expectations that I clearly go like, oh, if, if I do this, like my dad's going to think this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether good or bad. Right. Right. And, and right. so I, I think that that part is especially relatable for me personally. Yeah. I, I'm curious, though, because you, you passed over two things, Jeremy, yeah. that like were just like there's so many like little bits for me in the in this movie that just yeah. really. <laughs> I think just uh, speak to my heart and that when they're in the junkyard, right? Yeah. It, this goes to Vern's character and how he's just like, so like when he hears about the dead body, what's he doing? He's under the porch trying yes. to find like the jar, jar of piece, coins that he yeah. buried, like, which is so little kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, so superstitious. Cause like, I, Oh, it's the Goocher. It's the Goocher. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but then like the, one of my favorite lines of the, the entire yeah. film is when they're running away from the dog and, and all I heard was chopper sick balls right and so it just just goes to like in in these boys minds like this beast was so ferocious right it's just like the sandlot in so many ways right and so it's just it's great how like the imaginations of of boys this age just run rampant that are sometimes not tied to anything in reality yeah yeah it's interesting like you have that moment yeah where the dog chases them and they're freaking out the sick balls moment and then you have Really, not far after that, you have the train sequence where they're crossing yeah. the train bridge, yeah, and um, the train comes and they're having to run and then jump off. Very two very like to them near death experiences. Right. One very much so, and the other one just yeah. kind of in their mind. Yeah. Did you ever have to as a kid? Did you ever get into situations sort of like the mailbox baseball one where you were you felt like you were running and people were after you? Um. <laughs> Again, statute of limitations. Um, so there, <laughs> <laughs> every, every year in in my U.S. history class, when we go to talk about constitutional rights, yes, I mentioned Mr. Klepper, me, um, my my right to remain silent mm-hmm. on various parts of my youth. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there was there was one time where it, it wasn't involving mailbox baseball, but I'll, let me let me just kind of tell the story in in a snapshot way. Um, so we we had. Um, this was actually, this was after we had graduated, but before we left for college, mm. there were five of us, five, five football players in a Volkswagen rabbit. Um, oh, so right there, it's trouble, right? And, it's and, it's and, a problem. And, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, it's good old fashioned manual, uh, stick rabbit. And we Beautiful. were, we were downtown Santa Cruz and, um, we hadn't really been up to anything bad that evening, but Circumstances changed rather quickly. So as we as we turned left, um, there's a a post office out there. And listen, listen, dear listener, I'm, I'm saying this that this is through the lens of a teenager during the 1980s. I'm not saying that that it's right. So, but please don't please don't apply your your modern day political correctness to the story I'm about to tell Uh-oh. you. Uh, if you do, you can just email Jeremy. Um, 
or or Carl the intern. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't forget Carl. Yeah, all complaints. To yeah, Carl. go to Carl the intern. Um, so so as we as we bust a left, um, the guy I, I was riding shotgun. The guy right behind me, crazy Mike, rolled down his window. Rolled. Some of you have to look up what it means to roll down a window, but rolled yeah. down his window, and tossed a handful of lit M80s out the window to a group of homeless people that were on the sidewalk. Oh no. What we didn't realize at the time was that among those homeless folks on the sidewalk were undercover police who thought that there was gunshots. Oh no. Within moments, 5-0 was behind us. Now, let, let's make things more interesting, dear listener, because, um, you know, we, we can't have simple stories with just firecrackers. Um, what made things more interesting, that not only did Crazy Mike have the M80s, but Paul, who was sitting in the middle of three guys in the backseat of this Volkswagen Rabbit, actually had a handgun on him. Not to mention that the little hatchback area of the Volkswagen Rabbit was filled with adult beverages. Oh, goodness. Um, so, oh, now, goodness. dear listener, I want to, th- this next part is really important, dear listener. If indeed you want to go find some tomfoolery and hijinks, make sure the person that's driving the car ain't afraid to bust a move. And so um, Jeff, who was driving that night, <clears throat> um, there's there's this parking garage um, along the riverfront in in Santa Cruz, and it has a big sign on it that says "Do not enter," and that's where Jeff chose to oh of course not only break a traffic law but give the police car behind us reason to pull us over. So we get we get pulled over. We're inside this parking garage. Jeff. Um, pulls up. We're facing like the concrete wall of the bottom floor of the parking garage, and within moments, there are there's there, there's two police cars. There's um, a canine unit, oh, and goodness. like a, a it was like the DUI van, all behind us in a semicircle with their spotlights on us. Uh-huh. And um, the, the next thing we hear is over the loudspeaker. Um, you know the the effect of. Um, we need you to put your hands up. Do not make any sudden movements. And it's right around this time, Jeremy, that I figure that <laughs> my man's going to kill me. Yeah. It might just be better to do, you know, suicide by cop at this point. Yes. Because whatever they Smart. go out is going to be much easier on me than my old man. And so they they, they have Jeff, who's, who's driving. Um, they, they have him, you know, open the driver's side door with his right hand. So he's got a crossover yeah. and they tell him to keep his hands up and to get out. And so as he's getting out now, now mind you, I'm running shotgun. Uh, my, 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 my hands are still in the air, but I can see out of my peripheral vision that as soon as dear Jeffrey takes a step out of the car, he's immediately tackled by a law enforcement personnel. Um, and as he's getting, handcuffed the other law enforcement personnel has his gun drawn and is pointing at jeff's head oh my yeah it gets better um so while this is all going down what i didn't realize that while this is all going down is that paul had with his hands up um used his feet to take his boots off of which the gun fell out was now on the floor and he kicked it under where crazy mike the guy with the M80s and who initiated this oh. little experience for us was, and he got his boot back on with his hands in the air. So great, great job, Pablo. Um, and so it, it's now my turn, Jeremy. It's now my turn. Yes. I, and so again, over the loudspeaker, will the passenger in the front 
Please keep your hands in the air. Move slowly across <laughs> the car. Come out the driver's side. Now, Jeremy, for our listeners that don't have um, visuals to go along with this podcast, obviously, and have no idea of, of who I was uh, as as a newly minted 18-year-old. Um, so at the time, I, I was I was 6'3". I was 305 pounds. I was uh, recruited to, to play D1 football. So like, I'm, I'm a fairly big dude. And they're asking me, Jeremy, um, to move with my hands up across the front of a Volkswagen Rabbit with my hands up. And now remember, Jeremy, remember, Jeremy, that this is a manual transmission. Oh, gosh. So um, <laughs> as, I, as I'm moving over, I get, I get one leg over the, the gear shift. And as I'm trying to, again, with my hands up, um, to move out the driver's side of the door, my, my right leg... Uh, the pant leg, because uh, I'm wearing baggy sweats, gets caught on the gear shift. Now, Jeremy, what's the first thing you do if your pants get stuck? Is your inevitable immediate reaction is to lower your hands yes. to free yourself. And that might have been the end. As soon as I did that, it was just hands up, hands up. And I like, I'm surprised I didn't crap the bed right there, Jeremy. Oh. And so I'm trying to explain with my hands up and my right leg caught on the gear shift. I'm trying to explain to the officers that I can no longer negotiate across the front of this Volkswagen <laughs> Rabbit. And as you might imagine, Jeremy, their empathy oh, was very low at this point in their evening. Oh, and gosh. they just shouted again, come out the drive. So, Jeremy, I just I. I used what little momentum I could muster with my hands still up and my pant leg caught on the gear shift. And I just, I, I heaved myself and, and I got partway out the driver's door. I landed face down, um, from kind of like my, my, my chest up was, was outside the car. And, and as the police dragged me out, my, oh my gosh. sweats were still stuck on the gear shift. And so I'm, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally face down, <laughs> half naked, <laughs> with my sweatpants around my ankles, getting cuffed and stuffed. Uh, and, and so I was literally walked to the police car with my hands handcuffed behind me with my sweatpants around my ankles um, and, and put in the police car. Now, dear listener, you probably think that that's enough of this wild ride. What could possibly make it better? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Because what what I had in the glove box of the car that night was my fake ID. Oh gosh! Um, and so I distinctly remember, man. I can hear the, the the officer's voice like it happened last night, and I hear the, I hear this this police officer voice go like this. Um. All right, which one of you is Robert Norton from Nebraska? <laughs> <laughs> from Nebraska. Yeah, Robert Norton from Nebraska was my alias. Oh, and, um, that is funny. And, <laughs> and so I'm just like, um, from the back of the cop car, um, that that that's me. I'm I'm Robert. And so, oh, gosh. And so we all get cuffed and stuffed. Um, and and here here's the thing. Here, here's two things, dear listener, that that you that you have to walk away with is, um, Sean. And Paul and Jeff and myself were, were all about to leave for college like within weeks. And, and Crazy Mike, who started this whole damn thing, was not going to. So we had met privately after this night. We're just like, we're throwing Mike under the bus. It was his gun. It was his fireworks. It was his beer. And, and I know that sounds terrible, but damn it, we were willing to take that risk. And, 
and, but here's here's what was great is our friend who is usually with us, Eric, who was not with us that night, was actually longtime dating the deputy chief of police's oh. daughter. And oh, so he wow. knew all of us. Oh, wow. And so we got off with just having to pay a fine. Oh, my. Jeremy, if that were to happen in 2021, we we would we're, we're done. We are, we're done. We are put in the dungeon beneath the jail. But again, dear listener, so I like I, I use that to tell to tell my students every year that we have these things called constitutional rights that I had a right to remain silent that night thanks to our founding fathers and that is why you need to know your constitutional rights. There you go. And I'm yeah. sure I'm sure <laughs> your students have in some circumstances yeah. have been able to apply yeah the lessons they've learned. It's the only thing that they take from my class, Jeremy, is that if they're <laughs> if they're breaking the law, they just know be quiet. Just like Mr. Clefford taught them, just shut up. <laughs> just don't say a word. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I you know, I I have had multiple chases in my life, some when I was yes, you have. that age. Uh when I was younger, uh 7th 8th grade, I was in Hampton, Virginia. Mm. And uh, there was a kind of semi-famous fossil pit. Oh, who and did? it was it's kind of had a crazy story to it. But basically, this was a fossil pit that they had actually discovered in kind of an unknown species of whale, like whoa, thousands of years old. Uh, it is at the Smithsonian. I don't know if it's on display now, but I, I do know at one point it was. And so schools in the area would take their like field trips and they could dig in the fossil pit. It was kind of a thing for that Hampton Roads area of Virginia. Yeah. And sadly, the owner of the pit, um, his son was crushed to death on like a earth mover. Fell on. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, Because it was just unstable. There was a lot of digging and it it fell on. It's kind of the story a lot of kids knew. Wow. And when I was hanging around in Hampton, it was sort of the last days of that fossil pit. I think mm. uh, ownership might have changed hands. Uh, this was in the late 80s. Um, so people would go in there and like go down in the pit, but it was illegal to do that. Like you would, you could get in a lot of trouble. And yeah. whereas before it was easily accessible, school trips and all that stuff, like I think there was even a museum there. But at this Whoa. point, yeah. um, no. And in fact, today, it is full of water. It's a, it's like a, a lake, and people Whoa. could fish, but now they're no one's even allowed to fish. So people in that area will see it, and they're just like, "Okay, there's this place." But they, a lot of people don't even realize at one point it was this relatively famous fossil pit. That's wild. And so, in the late '80s, I would go down in there with my friends. We'd explore, climb on all the bulldozers and backhoes, and dig around and find fossils. And it was, it was incredible. And. There was a rumor going around that, hey, if you go, and you've got to be careful because there's a guy that works there that will shoot you with his shotgun that has rock salt in it. He'll shoot at you. <laughs> and you got to get out of there. It, like, you can't get caught. You'll be in trouble. You're trespassing. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, I, I didn't listen to that. And, <laughs> and I wasn't the physical specimen i am today right right yeah i was a chubby little like eighth grader and uh so me and my buddies we we snuck in we were down in the pit we were climbing out on the other side and 
a friend of mine named Jason said, oh, oh no, oh God, run, run. And we turn and there is this probably 300 pound dude <laughs> with a shotgun yelling at us and pointing it. Oh and God. we start running, and sure as hell, he shoots rock salt at us no. No. and shot my friend Jason right in the ass and just <laughs> stung his ass. He fell down. I'm climbing the fence. My fat butt can barely get over the fence. I fall. Similar to your experience, the, the fence caught my jeans and just ripped them um, from, like, the back all the way down to the leg. I mean, it was – so my – pants are hanging off i hold them up and running jason's <laughs> screaming because he got shot in the butt and and we just we never went again oh my god but gosh. that's the closest to the age of the kids that I, I i in high school i had somewhere it was like you know police were involved and like things yeah, were, yeah, yeah. were were not not good but but yeah. this was truly like what in the <laughs> hell that guy scared us to death. We never went back. I don't know. Oh my gosh! But it was a fossil pit. You could, uh, folks, listen. You could look it up. I think it was called. Ah, uh, I think it was. There was a name for it. I want to say. Oh, I can't quite remember it. It was. I'm looking it up now. I think it was like Rice Memorial or Rice Fossil Pit. Um, yeah, it's coming. Uh, so I just started. I been fossil pit Virginia and Rice's fossil pit Virginia yeah. comes up in the Google search. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was kind of a place, but uh, when it was kind of coming to its oh wow its yeah. conclusion, it was. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, yeah, don't don't go traveling down to fossil pits where crazy old <laughs> fat men with shotguns that shoot rocks right. all at you. Right, um, so terrifying. <laughs> all right, so back to stand by me. Yes. Um, Gordy and uh, and Chris have several interactions talking about the future. Of course, Chris doesn't think he's very intelligent. He's like, mm -hmm. you know, when we get to middle school, you're going to go your way, Gordy. I'm going to go my way. I'll be in shop class. You'll be, you know, in the advanced class. We'll never right. see each other again. And, right. and Gordy encourages Chris. And it's like, no, like you're you're smart. You can do this. And and I love those interactions. And then we get to. Uh, their their night together where they have a campfire and they're out in the yeah. middle of the forest and you get Gordy's lard ass Hogan who gets everyone to throw up on each other. This for some people that I've talked to about Stand by Me, this story kind of like threw them off and they were like, ah, I don't like it. I love the story. I think it makes sense. I Glorious. I truly believe that vomiting is contagious. <laughs> um, it might be because of Stand By Me, but yeah. I have also seen it in real life, and that's <laughs> – I'll tell that on a Patreon episode. Nice. Um, yes. But uh, do you, did you like the story? Did you find it funny, fun? Did it make sense for you in the story to take you out of the story? I mean, it's one of the highlights of the I whole freaking so. movie I for me, man. Yeah. I mean, I, just, just the setup because it's <laughs> – it's oh my gosh like i let me yeah let me just unpack my affinity for this part of of the film just everything from the old dudes wearing their their whatever that was water bison hats or whatever from their lodge yeah. boom yeah, baba, yeah, boom, yeah. Baba. it's just so great it's brutal. And then, you know we've got like the the dj this is is part of this is like their celebrity person on this and then yeah, here we go. Is is it is it Davy Hogan? Is that the kid's name I or Danny so. Hogan? Yeah, I yeah. think so. It's uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I just see. I in my notes, I just have lard ass yeah, Hogan. So and, and, and so like we 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 go behind the scenes, right? Where he's got the castor oil and yeah. <laughs> and the raw eggs, <laughs> and then this just explosion yeah. of vomit. And and so yeah, at this age, like th- that I saw this at, like oh my gosh, this is absolutely yeah. glorious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, so I, for those who were either offended or put off by this, shame on <laughs> you. Yeah, it's great. It's David Hogan, by the way. I looked it David up. Hogan, so David, David Hogan. So you have the big throw-up scene. And it, you know what, what I love about it is, yeah. you know, you have – Gordy is a storyteller, and they reference his writing all the time. There's a deleted yeah. scene where he actually puts the short story in his pack. Um, mm. Like, he has it. He hides it from his dad, yeah. um, which yeah. is interesting. It's a deleted scene as they're packing up to go on their journey. And um, Reitman said just in an interview that, like, he really debated, of like, what do I do with this story? Um, mm. I need to show that he's a storyteller, but, like, what kind of story should it be? And he really... Mm was concerned that it would the tone would shift too much with the story mm. but he felt like it was kind of true to someone that age it was a creative story totally totally but it fit for this 13 year old kid yeah, and in the test screenings apparently it was a huge hit and <laughs> people loved it and yes. uh it, of course Reitman's like well then it's it's, it's in it's in it's in and <laughs> I think it's I, – I really – you know, I got the movie. I purchased it on Amazon just for the show and to rewatch it. And I'm like, I so want to show my kids this movie. <laughs> I think it might be – man, the language is pretty stout in some places. And, and uh, so I might hold off a little bit. But yes, I, I do – cannot wait till they watch that scene. I just want to watch their reaction to it. It's one of my yes. favorite things as a parent is to watch movies that I adore and then watch my yeah. kids react. Watch so, the reaction. Yeah, I can't. I cannot wait. So, you have the story. Morning comes. Uh, Gordy has this really interesting moment where he sees a deer, and mm. um, he just keeps it to himself. And yeah. it's this really quiet moment. And yeah. the narrator comes in. And he's like, "I saw a deer that morning. It looked. They they shared a look, and then it went off. And I just right. thought." There's a lot. He never explains like the significance of it. He just, other than he just wanted to keep that to himself. Right. Um, there is a scene where Gordy that night after the story, he he breaks down in tears um, about his emotions about his dead brother and what his father thinks of mm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris also reveals, you know, his own, like the lunch money story where yeah. people just expect him to be bad and. He did steal the lunch money, but he tried to return it. The teacher lied, yeah. said he stole it, and used the money to buy her herself something uh, nice yeah. to wear. So yeah. it's a really heartbreaking kind of like series of emotional stories that yeah. are told. But yes. then you're juxtaposing that with the Cobras finally finding out about Ray yes. Brower's body, and they're yes. on their way. And it starts to like escalate into this, you know, big climactic moment. Of course, you have the famous scene of the leeches. Devin, I don't know about you, but um, that terrified the hell out of me. The idea of a leech yeah, on my yeah. equipment. Yeah. Um, needless to say, you know, whenever even coming near inland bodies of water to this day, um, <laughs> that is the PTSD yes. moment that I'm just like, nope, not going in there. Not worth it. Not, there is nothing on the other side 
that um, would would require me to take a shortcut. Because yeah. that's really what, what it is, right? Like, let's take a shortcut. Uh, I think it's Teddy's idea. Let, let's take the shortcut through here in order to shave off some time of our of our track. And inevitably, yeah, um, no. Yeah, Stephen King said that actually happened to him. That was oh. that was from his own life that happened. Oh. And he goes, I I just had to put it in the story. And it's yeah, heart well done, Steve. Heart yeah. wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> Seed. So they finally find the body. And yes. um and you have this kind of climactic moment where the cobras show up and man, the scene is really powerful. Um mm. You know, right before that, you have a very emotional scene where Gordy breaks down in, in tears about, you know, his brother. Um, right. Chris is consoling him, and then Ace and Eyeball show up. And right. Chris, <laughs> just River Phoenix is amazing. Yes. He faces down the older boys. Um, he, they have dibs on the on the body. Uh, yeah. Of course, the Cobras, they want it because they want to get on TV and be famous. Right. Um, and... Um, they basically realize they're outnumbered um, when the rest of the Cobras show up. Uh, so it's not just eyeball and ace, but it's the gang. And so Vern yeah. and Teddy just run. But Chris <laughs> yes. refuses to move. And Ace pulls out his, like, you know, his switchblade. Um, and, and, and basically Chris is like, you're going to have to kill me. I am not going to, right. you know, let this, this kid go. Um, and Ace says something interesting. He's like, I will slit your throat. And mm. of course, later in the film, we find out that Chris, that Chris dies and he's stabbed in the throat because yeah. he's trying to break up a fight. It's really fascinating. Yeah. But, yeah. um, right before Ace stabs Chris, a shot rings out and Chris obviously brought a pistol and, um, uh, you know, Gordy uses it to, um, let Ace know that he ain't taking the body. And it's, yes. a, it's a really powerful scene, of course, where he says, suck my fat one. <laughs> you cheap dime store hood. <laughs> yeah, you cheap dime store <laughs> hood. And um, it's 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 an awesome scene, just just standing up to these guys. Yeah. I, I love, you know, there's no sequel, but, but Ace is clear. He's like, this is not over. Like, this right. isn't over. And, right. and right. Uh, um, you know, who knows what happened after. But I, I love that. Um, this guy's evil and, and there's going to be issues down the road too, but, yes. but, uh, yeah, so they kind of win. They, they, they don't become famous though. They don't turn, they don't announce the body. They call anonymously and, yeah. and the body is, is discovered. And as you move to the end of the movie, you have this moment where, um, you know, the narrator comes in, Richard Dreyfus comes in as Gordy and just says, here's what happens. And he says, you mm -hmm. know, um, Chris and, you know, uh, you know, Gordy and Chris, you know, spend more time together, but Teddy and Vern, you know, they, they kind of go their own way. Here's that Vern's right. a forklift, forklift operator has a big family. Teddy, um, you know, probably ended up in jail. He was performing art of jobs, stuff like that. But Chris, yeah. he became a lawyer. He got through school, went to college, became a lawyer. And, um, then you flash back forward to the present day and you see, Gordy, Richard Dreyfus finishing um, the mm. story. And of course, there's that line, you know, where he says, you know, do we ever have friends like we do when we're 12? Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, it, and it just the film ends. And yeah. 
Uh, I don't know about you, Devin, but I feel like uh, when it comes to friendship, there's this authenticity to the movie. Um, yep. People come in and out of our lives. It doesn't mean we're we don't like them and right. we're not friends with them, but there's just this natural way of things, and friendships can come and go. And it doesn't mean that like you purposefully wanted to end it. It just kind of fades away, and there's yeah. this weird sadness to it. But then there's also like it's it's okay to cherish it too and and, well, and, and I, that's what yeah, the movie absolutely say, so. and, and i think that like we we see that with these these closing moments too and well let me, let me go back first and sure. let me just comment really quickly about like yeah. the the discovery of the dead body and stuff it, yeah. it's to me this is it's probably more of a thing as as an adult but but i i do remember it impacting me to some extent watching this for for the first time and, and yeah. as a youth and that is like when they when they actually discover the body of of ray brower there's not jubilation. Mm -mm. It's almost a sobering moment. And in so yeah. many ways, like it's not just them going into middle school and being divided by like the academic versus non-academic class, but it's yeah. this discovery of the body is like, I think so sobering for them that that in and of itself is this signal of like transitioning to more of an adulthood yeah. role, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's not this, Oh my gosh, we found it. Let's let's go do whatever we would do with it. Like, I mean, there's no selfies, no no right. cell phones to take pictures at that time. But 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 at the same time, it it the adventure to get there. I think that they thought like the discovery of the body was going to be the pinnacle of the adventure mm. when that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, yeah. But going to this closing scene with Dreyfus, and for those of you that have seen this, you, you know this is we see like this. Jeremy used the word cycle, and as as Dreyfus is is wrapping this up, like he's got his own kids yeah. coming in, yeah. right? And and yeah. it's just this, it's this almost this mirror image of the age he was when yep. he's writing the story about their their experience in the woods. And so like we we see his kids that are playing together and having such a good time, and yeah. his kids not understanding like, right. come on, dad, like let's right. let's go play. And so like that to me, especially as a middle aged dude, that's such a bittersweet moment yeah. because like. It speaks to me now as, as an older guy. Like we yeah. we we don't have friends typically, uh, right. like we had when when we were that age. Yeah. And and listen, like I I am so fortunate that three of my best friends in the entire world are guys I've known from yeah. from preschool, from kindergarten, and from seventh grade on. Yeah. And 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 I know how rare that is. Yeah. And so I think that like honestly, that's the piece that probably gets me the most when I watch this film yep. as an adult. It's yeah. the reflection back on these incredible, incredible relationships we often have as kids. And, and the fact that we, we, we often don't see those, those friends down the road in life. And, and you said it well, yeah. it's, it's not because there's some big disagreement or blow up or even like yeah. geographically moving. It's just that like we, we all live in these seasons of life yeah. And, and those seasons sometimes just take us in, in different directions. Yeah. And there's a there's even a little moment that I appreciate because you have Gordy's son and his friend. Because his fr it's like Gordy's son's friend says, you know, your dad, like, we, we've been telling him we've been ready for a while. And, like, his son's like, yeah, he gets like that when he's writing. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> you know, Dreyfus performs in the little that he's in the movie so well. It's all looks and mm. introspection. And he like finishes his story and then he goes outside and takes his kids swimming. Yeah. And he actually runs at him and tries to like run into the car and they race to the car and get in and they go. And it's like, Oh, Gordy snapped the cycle. 
Like he's right. loving his son, even though he's right. writing the story, he's still he's spending time with him. Right. There's no like dialogue that says that. Yeah, but you you see it, you see it. Yeah. It, it shows yeah. you that that Gordy is different. Like he's yeah. he broke the cycle that these yeah. parents all were in, these fathers were in that yes. the movie revealed to us. And yes, you know, it's just a little subtext thing that plays out through the whole movie. But I love that touch at the end. And of course, agreed. You fade to the fade to black, go to credits. But but it's yeah. really Stand by Me is special. And it, you know, you watch a lot of '80s movies and they don't hold up. You know, there's things that are in mm. them and you're like, eh, uh, yeah. stand by me. Yeah, it has some issues, but I think overall it does tap into this genuine, real place about mm. kids and friendship and growing up. Yeah. And and I, yeah. I think there's some universal themes yeah. in it that I think a lot of people can latch on to. So. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of the, the magic and the longevity of that is even though it, it's made smack dab in the middle of the 80s. Yeah. It's not about the 80s, yeah, right? right. It, it's it's harkening back a good 25 years or so yeah. um, from the time that it's actually released in theaters. And and so I, I think that in and of itself is one of the things that allows it to to hold up as well as it has since yeah. 1986. Yeah, it's it's great. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we got to talk about music. So we'll come back and oh. it'll be lock it in and rip the knob off. Oh, it sounds painful. Just let me hear some other rock and roll music. Are you reeling in the all right so welcome back so this is our segment we call lock it in and rip the knob off basically we play a game and it, the game is this we go to the movies it's 1986 it's august 8th we just saw mm. stand by me we walk out of the theater we get in our car what is a song that we listen to in the car as we leave the theater yeah, and that that yeah. song sort of encapsulates some of our feelings about the movie? Mm. All right, Devin, there was a interesting there's some interesting um, top 40 songs on the Billboard yeah. chart chart in August of 86. This movie came out. On the 8th, the very next day, the 9th, was my birthday. And uh, oh. so this was birthday time, Jeremy. Wow. Uh, my best birthday was celebrated on the 9th. I went to Water Country, wow. USA in uh, Virginia. I had took some of my best buddies. It was a blast. Then we had we came back, stayed up all night, watched movies. Um, and it was just so much fun. And so I have very fond memories of this time musically, but... Devin, the song I'm going to pick is a little bit of a downer, but I do think it kind of connects with Stand By Me. And so my pick is Holding Back the Years by Simply Red. Ooh. I mean, you got lyrics, Holding Back the Years, thinking of the fear I've had so long. Thinking of the fear I've had so long. Escaping 
it's sad. It's talking about mother and father. Um, I just feel like tonally, this song, it's a great song. It was number one at one point on the charts. Uh, I think it might have been Simply Red's only number one hit in the U.S. Uh, I wow. love it. That's going to be what I listen to as I become very introspective on the drive home. Um, wow. Yeah. What about you? Man, you are a f***ing buzzkill. <laughs> um. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you just brought the whole pod down. Hey, man, One we're talking about <laughs> friendships ending, death, Chris getting stabbed in the throat. Oh, man. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so save I, the pod, Dev. Save the pod. <laughs> Oh, all right. So I, I'm, I'm trying to work a little magic here to recover from that. Um, so two things like here's let me connect Stand By Me to some to some music and, and then and then I'll play nicely with with our, our top our billboards top 100 yeah, of that week. Yeah. Um, this the, the Stand By Me soundtrack is is phenomenal. And, and it, it did is. something, it is. Um, you know, it, it it really helped. And then this happened a few times during the 1980s. But there was this this connection to. 50s and 60s, everything from like Motown to, to, to 50s, 60s rock that really kind of had the, this crossover appeal to to Gen X kids. And yeah. like, I get it now because <laughs> now there's like insurance companies and everything else playing songs in their commercials yeah. that were songs when, when, when we were that yeah. age. But um, I loved the, the Stand By Me soundtrack. And in fact, I have some of my best memories, Jeremy, of taking that cassette and popping it in in the boombox, and um, my my BFF Travis and I would go down to the Santa Cruz Wharf, and we would just we would have big. They were crabbing nets, yeah, right? Yeah. And we would just toss our crabbing nets over the wharf, and sit there and play that soundtrack on repeat, awesome. and have like these great bowls of clam chowder made right there on the wharf, and like down there for hours, That's awesome, hours man. at a time. That's and awesome. So, th- yeah, that so that that soundtrack in and of itself just has so many great memories attached to it. But but going to the Billboard 100 of that week now, this actually dropped. This this was higher on the charts earlier in this year, yeah. and it actually <laughs> it's actually the the title song of a film oh. that 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 came out around this time okay. with Madonna and and Sean Penn, oh. and that is "Live to Tell." Oh, great and, song! Yeah. yeah and, So I, I think like the the theme of that song, Madonna's Live to Tell, obviously plays so well with the adventure Absolutely. that the boys are on and stuff. I I don't remember enough of the movie Live to Tell to, to give you too many details. Yeah, I think it was called At Close Range, wasn't it? Oh, maybe that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, with Sean yeah, Penn. Yeah, Sean Penn. And, and yeah, Christopher yeah, yeah. Walken. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you know you've got those two guys in yeah. it. Um, I, I don't remember how much cowbell there is in that movie, but indeed... <laughs> You got those two actors, so it's it's probably a, a great show. But yeah, yeah, so I remember being part of that yes. actual film soundtrack. But I, I think if we're trying to match something with Stand by Me, Madonna's "Live to Tell" what is is it's charting at one hundred this week? Wow! Uh, in in nineteen eighty six, that's a good pick. It's a good pick. It's a favorite song of mine, and the movie is is one that I think a lot of people don't know about. It's it's at yeah. close range. Came out eighty six. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like rural Pennsylvania. It's it's yes. Sean Penn, Christopher Walken. Oh man, there's there's some powerful acting going on. It's a really good yes. movie. 
Uh, yes. if, if you are interested in those actors, it's a, a must see if you've never seen it. So yes. uh, good pick. Devin, we need to we need to close out the show and we need oh. to we need to talk about there can be only one. So as we oh. think about Stand By Me, what is the single best thing, character, moment, scene, mm. line, song uh, about the movie? What's the single best thing for you about Stand By Me? Man, I, I hope this isn't a cop out. Yeah. Um, I, I, but just the macro theme of friendship. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I think, think it for is, me, yeah. like, there's nothing that can compare to that. No one liner, no one scene, like, just the overarching theme. I, Jeremy, I, I don't know if there is a movie, especially in the 80s, that does a better job of capturing the unique bond between a close knit group of dudes. Yeah. It's really great. It, it, I totally agree. Friendship is very much front and center. And that idea of like um, just the transitions we have, like when we end one, tra- you know, one chapter and go into another, yeah. does a exactly. great job with that. Like that feeling of closing a chapter. Cause that's when the yeah. movie ends, that's you feel like they've just closed a chapter and they're about to start a new one. And right. uh, I love, I think they get it right. And so I, I really yeah. agree with you uh, for me. It, it's similar. It's the chemistry between those those four friends. Um, yeah, you can find a few just videos of them, uh, just on you know, on YouTube of them just hanging out and just being yeah being goofy kids. But um, th- that throughout the film, their chemistry, I think it's what makes the film successful. Uh, I think from the treehouse to the end, I think it's it's yeah. it's wonderful. Um, and I specifically the chemistry between uh, Gordy and Chris as they deal with Ace at the end. I just I I believed that Gordy and Chris were going to go down together. Like they were yeah. they cared for each other that much. And I, I yes. love the movie uh, for that. All yes. right. So as we close out uh, the show, we just want to let you know a few places that you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at live in the past L I V I N the past. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash living the past. Our next episode, Devin, we're going to hang out with Kiefer a little bit more Ooh, as wow. we get ready to start kicking off the summer months. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Corey yeah. Feldman's going to show up, too. We're going to be doing the Lost Boys, Santa Cruz nice. in the house. Yes, we is. Next week. Uh, so we'll be recording that. It'll be The show will air probably in, a, in two weeks from now. Uh, we're really excited to do The Lost Boys. It's a favorite. And it, it was really, it, I think it might have been Sutherland's next project that he worked on. Mm. I could be wrong. There might be something in between. But it's soon after um, he's making The Lost Boys. And and talk about another great villain turn. Uh, yes. He's just like, Sutherland's on his A game uh, as we yes. go into that. So I'm I'm excited about that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Peace.